O give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 105, the first 22 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, September the 20th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the kings of uh, now just Judah because this, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel slash Samaria, it's known by both things, has ceased to exist. They've been assimilated into the Assyrian Empire, and now the Assyrians have come about eight years later, have come down uh, to Jerusalem and threatened King Hezekiah because he's made an unwise alliance with Egypt for protection against these very people. And so the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has sent down uh, emissaries to send word that they need to repent and then they need to turn from this alliance and they need to pay obeisance to the king who is making some extraordinary claims, for instance, to be more powerful than God. And so let's listen to what's said here. So then the Rabshake. The Rabshake is called the chief of princes, and he was the chief cupbearer to the king. He would have been his top administrative aide, but he was also his spokesman in many ways. He was the person most trusted by the king. So he sat down and he stood and he called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. So he's speaking Hebrew here when he speaks to the people. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. In other words, what he's saying is don't trust Hezekiah because he's not going to deliver you and don't trust Hezekiah when Hezekiah tells you to trust your God because he's not able to stop me either. Don't listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. And then he makes him a promise. Then each of you will eat of his own vine, and each of you his own fig tree, and each will drink the water of his own cistern. That sounds very much like the promise God made when he brought them into the land, brought them out of the land of Egypt and into the land of Israel that he gave them. He's, so this guy is now, the Sennacherib is making the same promise to these people that God made to them. But you'll do all that until... Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. You see, this is the way that Assyria handled conquered nations. They would displace those nations and take them and move them some other place, and then they, or places, typically, because they would um, be assimilated into multiple other cultures, and then they would move people from one place to another, and so now your culture is diluted because my culture is going to be the, uh, the new thing. I, I can bring that in here, I can bring my culture here, but I can't be a separatist within have to assimilate into this larger culture. And what he believed was is you create this big cultural stew, and th- then you guys will lose your flavor. You'll 
you'll end up becoming like everybody else. You'll see that it's better to be an Assyrian than it is to be an Israelite, for instance. You'll see it's better that all these nations have their own, well, you know, religions, and so you'll assimilate into those, and you'll assimilate their religion into your religion, and ultimately it won't mean anything anyway. It's just, you know, sort of this cultural remnant that will continue. Does this sound familiar? Do you hear what I'm saying here? This is exactly what the king of Assyria did. This was the strategy for conquered nations, was to assimilate them together into a melting pot such that they would lose all their own sense of individuality and identity. And that's exactly what they were trying to do there. They were were trying to create a global citizenship, for instance, is a better way to say that, if that makes it clear for you. So he says, you'll have all that, and then if if, when I move you out of there, you'll you'll have everything you have now. Until I come and move you, but but I'm going to move you to a place that's, that's equally good. There's no reason for you to not want to go. I'm going to move you to a nice place. <clears throat> it just won't be this place. And don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. And then he goes on to say, Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his hand out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Your brothers up there in the north? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? In other words, you haven't got a chance. All these people had gods too, didn't they? And, And, well, look at them. Their gods didn't, you know, keep them safe from me. I'm greater than all those so-called gods, and the proof is I'm in control. But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, don't answer him. And that's a great command. Don't get into it. Don't respond. Don't pick a fight. Don't continue an argument with an idiot. In other words, get off Twitter. (laughs) But that's the, the, the king, there was wisdom there. Don't say anything. Just stand there and listen to everything he says. And then walk away. And that's what they did. And so Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him all the words of the Rabshaki. So they were in mourning. They were absolutely in mourning. over. They were, they were devastated. They were demoralized by this nonsense. And you see the same thing in Revelation, right? I mean, you see the the beast speaking and and the people being completely demoralized. And I think at some level, some of us know that. We've gone through this stuff over the last year and a half now, and we've heard edict after edict, and we've put up with lockdowns, and we've put up with all this other stuff, and we've dealt with all this, and we know the statistics, and and we're being forced and forced and forced by the government to do all these things. And and then we're, we're hammered by our neighbors and our friends and everybody else. And and so here we stand, and, and we're, it's easy to get demoralized in this situation. I mean, there's no question. I spend way too much of my time being at least partially demoralized. It's been a hard, hard year. But, but we can't be those people. We can't stay in that place. And we need leaders. And that's the importance of leaders in the community is, is that when the people are demoralized, that we need people who will step up and be leaders for us. And it's not always easy to be a leader because you have your own thing going on, right? I mean, we have our own struggles as leaders, and it's never easy. And so here we go with, all right, what are we going to do? 
how do we keep our faith? How do we how do we stand strong in the Lord? And that's the thing that he's been really impressing on me in this last year, particularly, is, is that, John, you've got to stand strong. You've got to know what you believe. You can't allow yourself to get demoralized and to get beaten. Know what you believe. Know what I have said to you and stand in that and stand firm in that. It's the only way we're going to survive. It's the only way they were going to survive. In the gospel lesson, Jesus is very clear about that very thing. In fact, what he says is, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And what he's saying is, is that that you, you workers of lawlessness means that you have abrogated and negated the commandments of God. Lawlessness is is acting exactly the opposite of the way the law is given. And so he, he says, don't worry about these people who come up and they do these things. Listen to who they are and what they teach and what they do. Don't just look at the signs. Those can all be counterfeited. Look at life. Look at teaching. Look at lawlessness. That's the thing to look at. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And that's the, the build your house on the rock. But, he, but he's clear, and this has to do with hearing and doing, because everyone's going to hear it, but not everybody's going to do it. And that's what Jesus says here, that, that the one who hears and does, weaving them into your life, becoming that person is what matters. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, draw a distinction between people who hear but who don't do, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So building the house, Jesus says, is action. It's taking action. It's living according to what you hear and what you say you believed. Then when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. Where did the authority come from? And the authority comes, obviously, from the Holy Spirit operating through Jesus because he is the incarnate Son of God. But we also know that, that the authority comes from the unity of what he teaches and how he lives. Not like the scribes, because remember what Jesus says to the scribes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tie up burdens and you do nothing to help. You do these things, you say these things, but you don't do these things. You command other people to do them, but you don't do them yourself. So the scribes, Jesus is going to tell us later, are hypocrites. They say things, but they don't do things. They expect things of you that they don't expect of themselves. And so so it's hearing and doing. Those things have to be tied together. You can't separate them from one another. You've got to you got to uh, walk the walk, not just talk the talk. It's easy to talk the talk, honestly. <clears throat> it's hard to walk the walk. It's not easy for anybody to walk the walk. But Jesus says that's the way it's got to be, and that's the way it's got to be with these people in that uh, in Jerusalem, when the Rabshaki comes and tells them about the king of Syria, Assyria, I mean, he's not joking. That there's much to fear, but there's much faith also. And we've got to be those people of faith right now. 
I mean, I don't think there's any question. We've got to be called to be those people of faith, but we can't engage ourselves in the battle of words. We have to just love like Jesus loved, not to demonize, not to dehumanize. We've got to fight with the weapons that we have. We're fighting a spiritual battle. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. So in this passage, Paul is really angry <laughs> with the Corinthian church. He said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? You wouldn't be here if it weren't for me. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You're the proof that I'm an apostle because there is a Corinthian church. Is the proof that I'm an apostle. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me, because apparently the church, again, has, has decided there that, that we like these other people better than, than him. In fact, you know, we're going to follow this one, we're going to follow this one, we're going we're to consider these other super apostles. And Paul, you know, when he was here, he was just, he, he, he's, he's not real impressive when he's here in, in person. And so Paul's making a defense here. He says, if anybody wants to bring a charge against me, then let's go with it. He said, don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas too? What he's saying is, he's, hey, look at these guys' lives. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with their lives, but don't hold me to a different standard than you're holding them to. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So they're, they're saying, Paul, you've you got to keep working, buddy. These other guys are not. And they live different kinds of lives. And, and what this church has apparently determined is, is that, that Paul isn't worthy of that. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without getting of it its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Is this just Paul talking? Doesn't the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it really about oxen? Is what he says, is it, is it for oxen that God's concerned? No. Doesn't he certainly speak for our sake? Aren't we more valuable than that? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope in sharing in the crop. If we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, why, why not we even more? We're the ones who brought it to you first. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know any of this. You wouldn't even know Jesus if we hadn't come to you. But, but apparently you'll, you'll support them financially, but you won't support us. And we're the ones who first brought the word to you. All the hope you have, the life you have, everything, it came because we came to you. And now you're valuing these other people above us. Nevertheless... We haven't made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He said, we're just going to keep doing this because we don't want to be an obstacle. We don't want any of your having to support us financially to be an obstacle to, to the gospel. And so we're not even making use of the rights that we have under the law because of that. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the special in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I mean, he's saying it was always intended that those who bring the gospel, those who, who, who do the work of Christ, do the work of an apostle, are intended to be paid because that's work. And it's work in the same way the Levites and the priests and everybody else did it in the old dispensation. 
There's no difference, he says, between those two things. If, if, this is the way God always intended it, that there would be those people who were, who were paid for their complete devotion to God. In order that, they could help and, and raise up and grow up the others. He says, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I'm not even telling you that's what I want you to do. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. In other words, I'm pleased to do what I do because I can say to everybody else, look, you know, I'm not doing this for money and profit. I'm doing it because there's a compulsion laid on me. Because I love the Lord and because I love his people. And I love to share the word of the Lord with others. It's just as simple as that. Paul said, I'm going to live my life on faith one way or another. I've given everything to the Lord. I continue to give everything to the Lord. I'm not asking anything from anybody in order to preach the gospel. He said, that's not the way this works for me. Nope. I'm proud to be a guy who who does it for nothing. And, And he is. And he clearly is. He's living his life completely on faith. If you want to say anything about Paul, the man lived all his life in faith. He didn't spend time questioning God and all that. He plowed forward with the work God gave him to do, and he continued to do it, whether they supported him or not. He continued to do it in spite of all the barriers and all the obstacles that people threw at him. The man persevered, and that's exactly the way we're called to live. We're called to live the, the, the fearless life of faith like Paul lived in order that the gospel might advance. And at the end of the day, we might hear, well done.